for these songs that we've been able to sing. Just remember your goodness and your mercy to us. And Lord, we're thankful now that we can come to your word. Father, on the heels of an offering where we have had the opportunity to give to you, we pray, Lord, that you would multiply these tithes and these offerings that have been given to the sake of your kingdom. But, Lord, as we seek to tune our ear to hear what you would say to us this day, we pray, Lord, that through your spirit, you would touch us. We pray, Father, for the youth and the youth leaders that are away at the retreat right now, that you would even bless them this morning. But now, fathers, we open your words. Lord, I pray that you would take these words of mine, that, Lord, you would somehow guide my thoughts and guide my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Maybe you've heard the story of uh, down in the American South, there was this African-American church, and this is a church that had an Amen Corner. I don't know if any of you know what an Amen Corner is. If you've been to some of those churches, you know that when the preacher is up speaking, you'll have a group of people in the back that are saying, Amen, preach it, Pastor. We actually had a, some folks in Kuwait that came from a church like that, and the first time they did that, you know, I'm in the middle of a message and I'm speaking, and suddenly this guy stands up and goes, Amen, preach it, Pastor. It scared the life out of me. I did, Whoa, I almost jumped off the stage, but after a while you get used to it. But there was this church that had an Amen corner, and one morning the pastor stood up, and the pastor said, Brothers and sisters, if this church is going to learn how to serve God, this church needs to learn how to walk. And Deacon Jones, who was kind of the head of the Amen Corner, stood up and said, Amen, Pastor, let that church walk. And then the pastor went on and he said, And if this church is going to learn how to walk, then this church needs to learn how to run. And Deacon Jones stood up again and said, Amen, Pastor, let the church run. And he went on, And if the church is going to learn how to run, then this church needs to learn how to fly. And by this time they were all up on their feet, Amen, Pastor, let that church fly. And he said, well, and if the church is going to fly, we're going to have to learn to dig deep into our pockets and learn how to give. And Deacon Jones kind of stopped and he replied, let the church walk, pastor, let it walk. (laughs) One of the greatest indicators of spiritual maturity in your life is how you handle money. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined. It's an indicator. It reveals our heart. I want us to turn our Bibles this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. 1 Timothy verses, chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. It says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The Bible tells us that money is a tool. It's something that we use. Money is also a test. It is a test of our faithfulness to the Lord. Now, I know that some of you are already tuning out. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, Pastor Steve's going to talk about money. The church wants our money again. Oh, here we go, here we go. Look, that's not what this message is about. All right? 
I've heard it said that if you go into a doctor and the doctor pokes you and it hurts, it's for one of two reasons. Either the doctor poked you too hard and it hurt because he poked you too hard. And sometimes pastors can preach too much on tithing and you know it's like poking you too hard and you say, ouch. Or it hurts because there's a problem in that area. Right? And it's a message that we need to hear. Money reveals our maturity. Just like prayer, just like reading the Bible, how we handle money reveals our spiritual maturity. I want to talk about a couple of spiritual disciplines this morning. Five spiritual disciplines when it comes to handling your finances. And the first spiritual discipline is this. It's the discipline of trusting. The spiritual discipline of trusting. This means faith. Trusting means that you recognize that God is the source and the provider for everything that you have. Do you believe this morning that God is Jehovah Jireh? Do you believe that God will supply all of your needs? That's what it says in Philippians 4.19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You either believe that or you believe that God is a liar. Because that's what his word says. I want to say to you this morning that everything that you own, everything that you have, belongs to the Lord. Everything. God has entrusted you with all that you have. He gave it to you through maybe a company or maybe through a business or whatever it is. But everything that you own ultimately belongs to God. When you walked into this earth, you had nothing with you. And when you leave this earth, you will take nothing with you. It's kind of like a game of Monopoly. At the end of the game, do you keep the money? No, it all goes back in the box, right? You brought nothing with you into this life. You can take nothing from this life with you. It's, it's like the story of the guy. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but there was this man that was a very successful businessman. And all his life, he worked and he worked and he tried to make as much money as he possibly could. But he was worried because he knew that one day he was going to die and he'd have to leave it all. And so he began to beg and plead with God. He said, God, please, can I just bring it with me? I know that you don't usually allow this, but please, just in this one case, would you allow me to just bring it with me? And finally, God relented. He said, okay, 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 go ahead. Pack one bag full of whatever you want and you can bring it with you into heaven. And so the day came and the man knew he was close to death. So he sold everything he had and converted it into big golden bars. And he put those big golden bars into a suitcase. And then finally he died and he was dragging that heavy suitcase full of the golden bars up to the pearly gates. And an angel stopped him at the gate. He said, what are you doing? You can't bring that in here. He said, no, 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 I asked God and God allowed me to bring one bag full of stuff with me. And, and he looked at his, oh yeah, it says here that you're allowed to bring in one bag. Okay, okay. But before you come in, can I just see what it is you brought with you? And he took a look into the bag and he closed it up. He said, okay, go ahead. And after he had gone in, another angel came up to him and he said, you know what? I don't understand humans at all. I mean, this guy could have brought anything with him into heaven and he decided to bring in pavement. Gold is meaningless in heaven. Absolutely meaningless. The streets are paved with it. Everything you have belongs to God. You have to learn, number one, if you're going to handle money in a right way, you have to learn 
to trust in God as your provider. The United States government wanted their citizens to believe this. And so on every piece of money they print, it says, in God we trust. In God we trust. We don't trust in the stock market. We don't trust in our investments. We don't trust in our savings account, our RSPs. In God we trust. You know, even Kuwait, which is a a Muslim nation, on every piece of money they print, it says, we seek God's assistance. I mean, even they know enough that they have to trust in God for their financial source. What does Canadian money say on it? Anybody here ever read what it says on a Canadian $5 bill? This is what it says on a Canadian $5 bill. It says, The winters of my childhood were long, long seasons. We lived in three places, the school, the church, and the skating rink. But our real life was on the skating rink. What a sad commentary upon us as a nation that we place hockey above the church in terms of importance in our lives. Trusting. Are you trusting in God for all that you have? But number two, moving on from trusting, we move to the spiritual discipline of tithing. What does tithing mean? Tithing means that we give the first 10% of our income back to God. You say, well, well, where does it say 10%? I don't see in the Bible where it says 10%. Well, the word tithe means 10 It comes from the Hebrew word for ten. It means a tenth. We give a tenth of everything we make back to God. Let me give you a secret. If you want God to bless an area of your life, put God first in that area and he will bless it. If you want God to bless your marriage, put God first in your marriage and he will bless it. If you want God to bless your business, put God first in your business and he will bless it. And likewise, if you want God to bless your finances, put God first in your finances and he will bless it. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The Bible is such a good book because it's very clear to us. When it talks about tithing, it talks about when to tithe, it talks about where to tithe, and it talks about how to tithe. Where to tithe, or or when to tithe, it just said that, the first fruits. Does it say we honor God with the leftovers? Wait until the end of the month and see what's left over, and maybe God, we can give give that to God? No, it says the first fruits. That means your tithe comes first. Your tithe comes right off the top. It comes right away. That means when you get paid, you take it immediately right off the top, and you give it to God. That's when you should tithe. I know that the church has been talking about setting up an automatic payment plan where you could set up with the bank that if you're on a fixed income, you know what you make month after month, that you can just automatically set that up. So at the beginning of the month, bam, that comes right on. You get paid and then immediately your tithe goes right in. And I know some of you don't like that. Some of you are saying, well, well what, does that mean I, I'm not going to be able to, to bring a, an envelope and, and, and put it in the offering during the service? And Well, that's good too, but... That's for your offerings. Your tithe comes out first. It's the first fruits. The Bible doesn't say you just tithe and that's all that you do. And 10% is just the minimum. 
I know people that give 20, 30, 40% because they're able to afford that. But, but we give offerings and we give of ourselves in other ways, but the tithe should come out first. Heard of a missionary in Africa, and uh, he was teaching on tithing. And that afternoon, a young boy came and knocked on his door, and he opened up the door, and he looked out, and this boy had caught a great big fish from the river. And he said, Pastor, you were talking about tithing, and so I caught this fish for you, and this fish is my tithe. And the pastor took the fish, and he said, Oh, that's, that's very nice. But he looked around. Where are the other nine? He goes, Oh, they're back in the river. I'm going to go catch them now. You know? So that kid had caught the true concept of the tithe, right? Pay God first. Unfortunately, we often don't do that. Unfortunately, we often wait. I like beginning of the month, personally as well, because I find that if I wait longer in the month, that there's all kinds of things that come up to test my faith. I mean, if you wait to the second week, you know, their bills start piling up and the payments start coming out and the bank account starts going down. The third week, oh, we had an emergency. The dishwasher broke down. This happened and this happened. And the fourth week, oh, this is happening. This is, and you get to the end of the month and it's like, oh, well, I just can't afford to tithe. I just can't afford to, to give anything this month. Heard a story of a, of a boy who went to Sunday school one day and the teacher wanted to teach them about tithing. And so she gave every kid in the class a piece of paper with a number on it and something written on the back. And then she brought out this great big plate of brownies, delicious, hot brownies. And the kid who had the first piece of paper, the paper that said number one, said, I got number one, I got number one. And she said, well, what does your paper say? And he turned it over and it said, house payments. She said, great, come on up. And he took a big brownie and he went back to his seat and started to eat it. And the next kid said, I have number two, I have number two. What does it say? Oh, car payment. And he went up, got a big piece of brown, he went and sat down. And on and on it went. Mortgage, uh, uh, taxes, uh, one by one, all the kids came up. Every kid got a great big brownie and went back to their seat and started enjoying it. And there was one little guy at the back and he kept waiting and he kept waiting. And finally it was his turn. He jumped up and goes, I got the last one. And he went running up to the front and all the brownies were gone. All the teacher could do was scrape up some of the crumbs from the bottom of the pan and put it into a napkin and give it to him. And he said, that's no fair. That's no fair, teacher. What does your piece of paper say, he said. And he turned it over and on it was written, God. That kid grew up and he never forgot that principle. Never forgot that. But if you wait until the end, all God will get is crumbs. You pay God first with the first fruits of all that you make. That's when you give. But where do you give? Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. It says where? It says that the tithe goes to the storehouse. The tithe goes to the storehouse. What does the storehouse mean? The storehouse is the place you eat from. All right? So where do you tithe? You tithe to the place you eat from. In other words, you tithe to your home church. 
There's a lot of people that are confused about this principle. They think, oh, it's the tithe that can go anywhere. I'm going to take some of my tithe and I'm going to give that to, to, to compassion. I'm going to take my tithe and I'm going to give some of that over here and some of that. But, but you know what? That's what the offering is for. The offering goes to these places. The tithe comes to the place where you worship. That's your home church. When, uh, why is that? When uh, Naomi and I were in Kuwait, we noticed that there would be people that would move to Kuwait. And they came from all over the world. Some of them came from America, some of them came from Africa, some of them came from the Philippines. And they would move to Kuwait and they would start coming to the church. And at first we noticed that they wouldn't tithe. They just, they just didn't give a tithe. And when asked about that, they would say, oh, well, you know, I am tithing. I'm tithing to my church back in the Philippines. I'm, I'm tithing to my home church back in America. I'm, t- I'm tithing to my home church back in Africa. And, and, and that's just what they would do. They would just give their tithe back to their their home church. But you know what? We realized something. As long as that happened, they never got involved. They never got involved. They would show up on Sunday morning and they would sit there and they would enjoy the worship and they would enjoy the message and they'd say, thank you, pastor, that was a good challenge and they'd leave, but that was it. That was the extent of their involvement. But as soon as they started tithing, suddenly they became involved. Why is that? Because where your money is, there your heart is also. You want me to prove that to you? Take some money and invest it into a stock. Guess what happens then? You become very interested in that stock, don't you? I mean, you put a couple thousand dollars into a stock and suddenly every time you pick up a newspaper, what do you do? You miss all the other ones and you go right to that page that says, okay, how's my stock doing today? Oh, it's down by this. Oh, it's up by this. You become very, very interested in that thing because your heart is there. Because your investment is there. When you give outside, your heart goes outside. Your heart follows good ministries, wonderful ministries, excellent things that are out there. Radio ministries and and missionaries and all this great stuff. But that's where your heart is. It's outward focused. When you start giving to the church, that's where your heart is. That's where your focus is. That's where your ministry is. When you should tie, where you should tie. You know, I, I heard this story about two men who were shipwrecked. These guys washed up onto the beach. The boat was sunk. The one guy started to panic. Oh no, he said. We have no food. We have no water. How are we going to feed ourselves? We're going to die here on this desert island. And he started to panic. And the other man just seemed unconcerned. The other man just walked over and sat down under a, a coconut tree and just kind of folded his hands and started going to sleep. The one man got really ticked off because he was so calm. He said, how can you be so calm? Don't you know we're on a desert island? Don't you know we're going to die here? The man goes, you don't understand. I'm a very wealthy man. I make $100,000 every week. The other man said, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. You're on a desert island. Your money is worthless here. You're going to die. And and the man says, no, 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 you don't understand. You see, I make $100,000 a week, but I'm also a Christian. I tithe on that $100,000 a week. Don't worry, the guy said. My pastor will find me. (laughs) Your tithe goes to the storehouse. How to give. 
it says that you give joyfully. You give joyfully. You know, it's better to give joyfully than to give it all. You know, your tithe should be something that you give and it's not something that you have to do. It's not like, I'm tired, i got to write this check again, and oh, I hate writing this check, and this is money I could be spending for something else, and oh, you kind of do it begrudgingly, and you kind of throw it into the offering plate. and oh. shouldn't be like that. We had a pastor in Kuwait that, again, he was African-American, he was from a, from a, a, a church in the, in the deep south of America, and whenever he got up to announce the offering, he would always say the same thing. He would stand up and he would say, brothers and sisters, it's hallelujah time. Hallelujah time. And, and, then, and then he'd start handing out the offering. And, and, and he had gotten the secret that, you know, it's a part of worship. It's a part of, of our expressing our thanks and our joy to God, and that should never be done begrudgingly. Can I say to you this morning that God doesn't need your money? God doesn't need your money. And can I go on even further to say something that's pretty scary because I see the finance team is kind of getting nervous? This church doesn't need your money. God is able to provide for us. It's not that we need your money, it's that you need to give. God could have asked for 20% of your money, He could have asked for 40% of your money. It's all his. It all belongs to him. The amount is arbitrary. He asked for 10. And the reason he did was a test to see whether or not you would be faithful with what you have received. The test is for you. The test isn't for the church. It's your test. Will you be faithful? It's for your sake. It's for your good. The spiritual discipline of trusting the spiritual discipline of tithing. Thirdly, there's another spiritual discipline that some people don't think about in terms of managing their money, and that's the spiritual discipline of saving. Are you saving some of your money? Are you investing it? Are you putting it away for a rainy day? Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. In other words, if you're saving, you're wise. If you're just getting, if you're just spending what you make month after month, then you're a fool. Why? Because all of us go through times of crisis, financial crisis. All of us will have emergencies. The car will break down. Something will happen around the house. There's always stuff that comes up when it comes to money. And if we're not putting money away for a rainy day, we're going to be in trouble eventually. John Rockefeller was the wealthiest man about a hundred years ago. And Rockefeller had a principle. When people would come up to him and say, Rockefeller, why are you so rich? How come you have so much money? He would always say the same thing. And it became known as the Rockefeller principle. And it was very simple. He said this, Whatever you make, take 10% and you give it to God. Take 10% and you give it to yourself in terms of savings and you live on the other 80%. It's called the 10-10-80 principle. 10%, the first 10% to God, the next 10% to you in savings, you live on the other 80%. You say, Pastor, I can't live on 80%. Well, then you're living beyond your means. The 10-10-80 principle is important if you're going to understand the spiritual discipline of saving. Do you know that the average Japanese citizen 
saves 20% of their income. 20% of their income goes into saving. The average European saves 18% of their income. Do you know what America does? The average American spends 1% more than they make. And for Canadians, I think we're probably closer to our American neighbors than we are to the Europeans. Trusting, tithing, saving. The fourth spiritual discipline is a spiritual discipline of repaying. That means that if you get yourself into debt, you get yourself out of debt. I don't need to say a lot. All you have to do is turn on your radio. There's that whole radio show that the guy talks about getting out of debt. There was a well-known CEO and he once said this, the best time to start tithing is when you're in debt. You say, well, pastor, I just can't afford to give a tithe when I'm in debt. You know what? You can't afford not to. You can't afford when you're in debt to miss out on God's blessing in your life. You just cannot afford to miss out on that blessing. Don't get yourself in debt. Debt is not good. People coast into debt. You never coast out. You climb out. One foot, one hand at a time. It's easy to get in debt. It's horrible getting out of debt. So don't do it. I'm not talking about taking a loan on your house or a mortgage payment. That's, that's an investment. You know, that's, that's, that's okay. I'm talking about buying stuff that you don't need. Or buying stuff that's more expensive than you need and putting yourself in debt because of that. There are no shortcuts to getting out of debt. The lottery won't save you. <laughs> All your dreams of making the million, you know, are probably just dreams. If you're in debt, get yourself out of debt. Lastly, trusting, tithing, saving, repaying. The last spiritual discipline is a spiritual discipline of enjoying that you have what you have and God wants you to enjoy it. God doesn't want you to walk around in life miserable, worrying about every penny that you spend, just going through life, you know, from one paycheck to another paycheck, you know, sad all the time. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to trust in Him. He wants you to remember these Jehovah Jireh, that you don't have to worry all the time about where the next meal is going to come from. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to trust in him. Heard a story of a little girl who went to the store one day with her mother. And as they were in the checkout line, she noticed that there in the checkout line, there was this little plastic box. And in this plastic box, there was a cheap pair of dime store pearls. You've seen those before, the little plastic pearls. And she saw these and, and, and she said, Mommy, Mommy, I really, really, really want to get those pearls. And the mother said, well, let's take a look at the price. And she turned it over and she looked at it and said, well, they're $2, Jenny. And I don't know if you have $2 in your piggy bank. So let's go home. Let's open up your piggy bank. Let's see what you have. And then maybe later you can come back and get the pearls. And so the little girl went home and she broke open her piggy bank. She had 48 cents. And she said, oh, mommy, there must be some way I can earn some money. And so she went to the neighbors and raked some leaves and she did this and she did extra chores around the house and she earned the $2 and was able to finally go in and buy that little 
pair of plastic pearls. And she was so happy. She put those pearls on and she just thought she was the princess of the world. I mean, she wore those pearls to school. She wore those pearls to church. She wore those pearls to bed. She wore those pearls all the time. She was so happy about her pearls. One day, her father was tucking her in for bed at night. And he read her a story and then they prayed together and the daddy said, Jenny, do you really like your pearls? Oh, yes, daddy. I love my pearls. Jenny, would you give me your pearls? And her eyes got really big. Oh, no, daddy. Oh, no, not my pearls. No, you can have my teddy bear that I got for Christmas last year. You can have my teddy bear, daddy, but not my pearls. Okay, Jenny, the daddy said, and gave her a kiss, and she went to bed. The next night, after reading her a story and tucking her in and saying their prayers, the father said again, Jenny, can I have your pearls? This time she was really hurt. She said, no, daddy. No, daddy, you can't have my pearls. I love my pearls. You can have the horse I got for Christmas last year, the little toy horse that, that my Barbie drives you. You, you. you can have that, daddy, but... You, you, you can't have my pearls. And on and on it went until a week later, the father walked into the room and Jenny was there, big tears in her eyes. And she reached and she took the pearls from around her neck. And she walked over to her daddy and said, Okay, daddy, okay. I guess you can have my pearls. And she gave the pearls to her father. And the father took the dime store pearls and he put them in her pocket, put them in his pocket. And then he reached into his other pocket and pulled out this beautiful velvet case. And he opened up that velvet case and in the velvet case was a real set of authentic pearls. And he took out those pearls and he put them around his daughter's neck. He said, you know what? Your grandma had these pearls for a long, long time and she wanted you to have them. We were just waiting to see when you were old enough and big enough to be trusted with these. And I think now you are. Likewise, I think God would come to us today and he would say, do you trust me? Can I have the imitation? Can I take from you the imitation in order to give to you the real deal? Will you trust me with 10%? Will you trust me with your tithe? Will you trust me in the area of your finances? If you will, God says, I can bless you more abundantly than you even know. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have given us so much that, Father, you have provided for all of our needs. Father, I know that very often we go through life wanting more and more and more. The problem is, is that often when we make more, we spend more. Lord, you have put us as stewards. Father, we recognize that everything that we have comes from you. Everything that we have belongs to you ultimately. And so, Father, we pray that as we seek to grow, as we seek to mature in, year, that fa- that mature in you, that, Father, we would take seriously the spiritual disciplines that we have talked about today.
of handling our finances in an appropriate way. That, Father, we would give to you what is yours. That we would give back to you, Father God, this trust, this test that we have been given. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Thank you, God. Help us to enjoy all the good things that you provide for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand.